I've never felt myself to be an alpha leader, particularly. I feel the responsibility to channel that same level of audaciousness as the Saatchi's felt for the next generation. And then how do you do that? Oh my God. An unexpected six month break helped him reflect and take a breather, finding meditation. You check your phone every five minutes. You're always on and there's stuff going on and gardening leave. <laughs> Nothing's <laughs> happened, no emails. Nothing's Nothing. happened. <laughs> You'll get like a promotion offer from F Pret or something. <laughs> My days would be full, but it would be things like take bins out, walk dog. Because <laughs> you have all of this stuff in your head. It's like clearing the cash. You might not even know it's there. And then slowly, just by meditating or walking, and suddenly you just sort of you then get to the day where it's your first day, CEO yes. of Saatchi and Saatchi. Walk us through that day. What time did you get in? Did you go there? I'll get there at 7.30, you look like I'm prepared. Get there late, I'm the boss. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first day like? Greetings, I'm Ashley Samuels McKenzie. And I'm Charles Parkinson. And welcome to How I Became. Where we unveil the unscripted journeys of inspirational figures. My name is James Denton Clark, and this is how I became CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi. If you enjoy the show, could you do one thing? Subscribe. Wherever you are, just click the subscribe or follow button. That simple act can help us grow the podcast in a big way, and we need your support to do it. And if you really want to help play a part in our growth, rate us on Spotify or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world. Thank you. With his early life, enjoying taking part in the cadets and exploring the jungles of Borneo, it's a surprise he did not end up in a regiment. Learning key lessons from military leaders, such as making your bed first when you wake up, one of life's most important structures and sentiments. Finding his way into advertising from the post room to the top, he has spent over two decades there and still keeps going seeing the keen importance of nurturing talent and culture to keep the cooperative creativity flowing. An unexpected six-month break helped him reflect and take a breather finding meditation, which can often be quite an awkward place to find oneself, when many only find that time when they retire from their occupation. So now he will tell you how he became the new chief exec in the agency party. Introducing James Denton Clark, CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> nice oh, words. Great. Yeah, very good. Do you do that Welcome. for everyone? Yeah. You get one you get one at the end as well. Yeah. Mm. Primes, I hope. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know how you we were talking about how to rhyme Saatchi. Saatchi yeah. I was didn't know until then yeah, how he's gonna do it. Party. Party. Right. party. party. Chief exec party, the new Excellent. one on the block, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you work for that. <laughs> well done. Good. So this is the story of how you became yeah. CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi. The agency that needs no introduction. Come on, this is one of the most famous agencies in the world. As you put it, one of the most storied agencies in the world. Pretty incredible story in itself, Saatchi, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> for someone who has spent 25 years in advertising, it's um, it's kind of end of level, isn't it? You know, you kind of go, uh, it's sort of level complete advertising, Saatchi and Saatchi. And uh, and because uh, when, I, when I started at, at Bates Dorland, um, I, uh, I started in the post room and... 
You're revealing the story. We can't oh, share I that Oh, I can't yet. reveal the story No, yet. we're going to no, get to right, that. Well, a teaser. Was, yeah, but it was... Um, yeah, it's a um, it's an agency that is... Well, it's the most famous agency in the world. It's uh, It comes with legend, mystique, prestige. But that's also a... Uh, I, I feel it's also a... Um, it's a blessing and a curse, you know? Yeah. Because mm. it comes with expectation... Uh, and it comes with preconception. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think, you know, it's my gig to kind of see through that a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. Well, we'll talk through that that weight of responsibility that, you know, you feel coming into a role like that. Um, and we'll get there. Yeah, I think there, there, there's, I mean, you can read books on Saatchi and Saatchi. And yeah. um, one of my favorite stories is in, in the in the early days where they weren't as big as they are now and they're inviting clients into the office and they wanted the clients to feel like this is a big bustling agency, but they didn't have very many staff. They weren't that big agency, but they got this big office and then went out on the street and gave people like a fiver to come and <laughs> sit in the office and pretend to work. Yeah. So when the agent, the clients came in, they were like, whoa, this place is yeah. popping. We need, to, we need to bring our business here. Um, and that sort of, I think, exemplifies the, the origin stories of, of Saatchi pretty well. You know, I think one of the reasons why it's it's uh, so storied is that you have to look at the brothers, you know, and the brothers came out of an underrepresented community and they came into an industry, blew the whole thing apart, you know, and these guys, and they came in with audaciousness, with provocation, mm. you know, with passion. Uh, and they uh, and they transformed a whole industry, and the stories and the legends sort of came came with that and, mm. and stuck with it. Well, if if you're watching this and listening, and you'd like to hear more about the Saatchi story, we do have an episode with Paul Bainsfair, oh, who was go. CEO <laughs> in the eighties, nineties, this this period. Mm. Um, and so you can hear lots of the stories on on that time period there. This is the story of James Denton Clark and how he rose to be CEO of Saatchi in 2023. So you've been in the role about three months. Three months. That's yeah. Right. Um, so we'll get to that. Let's take it back. Take Let's it back, go back, back to where it all begins. <laughs> um, you were young, obviously, when you were young. Yeah, I've uh, been known you were, to be young. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were clearly up for adventure and liked to challenge. Yeah. Uh, you nearly didn't go into the world of, of creative agencies. You nearly joined the army. What was yeah. going on? Set the scene of your early life for mm. us. Yeah, I mean, it was... Um, <laughs> I, t- I tried a number of things, actually, before I, before I got into advertising. Um, Navy, I tried, um, but I didn't have good enough eyesight. You have to be able to see a, a, a light from a, a life vest or from the bridge of a ship in a storm at two miles or something whoa and i'm like you know been like this for a long time so that wasn't going to happen <laughs> it's a bit more advanced than the driving license test yeah it's the a little bit it's a bit like it so that yeah. wasn't going to happen so navy uh army i i was quite interested in for a while you you almost joined the army I, yeah right? i almost joined how, the army. how close how serious was it well i got to the commissions board um wow. and i was i was pretty serious about it actually how old um, were you 18 wow 18 so you were thinking this is going to be your career yeah i thought that was going to be that was going to be the thing why um 
I had a I had a change in direction. You know, went traveling, had a change in direction, felt it wasn't necessarily the the path for me. And I think probably because actually I I um I found words and stories at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I actually started getting more into developing that kind of passion than actually the the sense of adventure that you that you get with the army. But that that kind of thing has stuck with me all, all the way through. Um uh, you know, and as you know, I've been running the army account in the last gig for the last five, six years. So there's loads of um, loads of loads of good learnings from that. But I think it was it was super useful because I uh, I did that, and then I um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there was also I wanted to be James Bond at one point, and that's oh, why I went, hmm. went in and did all that kind of stuff, and then uh, and then found words, and then started looking at journalism and copywriting and understand you know, and that and that kind of world. Is there but, any particular book or article that you read that really hooked you in into into the the world of words into the world? I think it was. I don't think it was. I mean, I always read. I, you know, I've been a prolific reader and story stories, and uh, and um, I don't think it was any particular one book. But I used to write a lot. You know, well, I mean, you same same. You know, poet your yeah. poetry background. Poetry never quite spoke to me as much, but I was always into the long form. Mm. You know, and and narrative and storytelling, and I used to write a lot. Um, in my room and I would uh, you know write short stories and I would sort of start to plan out novellas and you know I just got really into it maybe it's escapism at the end of the day I don't know I was quite into a into science fiction and different genres and world creation and all that Mm, kind of stuff but it was um, yeah so a whole different kind of kind of kind of approach but the 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 army was really interesting actually because because I met this amazing guy uh, called Major General Paul Nansen, uh, and it, and again these these people who go who have marketing you know this is the commandant of Sandhurst like and a major general you know commanding armies these guys really know their their onions yeah. Um, and uh, you speak to the you speak to these guys, and he's actually written a book. He's he's left the army now, but he's written a book called uh, Stand Up Straight. And and I devoured it. But you should, I devoured it. You guys should devour it. And he talks about the same principles. And what they do at Sandhurst is uh, is they go back to the basics, and they go back to the basics, and they teach people to get up in the morning, make your bed, you know, because that's the first step. Get up early, make your bed. Then you've got one thing complete. You've got a foundation, you move on to the next one, you move on to the next one, you move on to the next one. And I, I and I kind of think that's that's important when you're when you're when 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 you're sort of trying to develop and do stuff that's quite difficult. You go, just make it step by step, get your admin sorted, sort your kit out, yeah. get yourself in a good place. Mm. You know, you guys have researched this. You know, clearly mm. you've written a poem about it. You know, mm. you're like you've you've Prepare. done your done your leg legwork mm. and you've got yourself sorted and you're ready to go. And I th- I think that's I think that's really important and yeah, also think, and also lovely. I think it's going to be interesting looking at how that you know that time in the army influences your how you operate as a CEO and how you you do what you do now which is is quite interesting. And there there are four chapters to your life which we're going to cover today which I haven't mentioned yet. <laughs> Chapter 1 starting from the bottom now we're here post boy now the whole team. Oh yeah. yeah. Chapter two, the journey to CEO. Yeah. 
<laughs> chapter three, in the garden. Oh yes. Chapter four, the responsibility of being Saatchi CEO. So you've alluded to it. Tell us, you get into the industry. Uh, well, you, you do about six, six to 12 months in journalism, and then you get a job at your first agency. And this is how your career in advertising begins. Right. And you have the esteemed position of, of what? I had the esteemed position. Well, I had two positions, actually. Right. The, my day job uh, was pushing the post trolley. Um, and then in the evenings, to earn a few extra quid, you do the switchboard. Uh, oh. which was pretty good as well because people phoned in those days landlines and you had a switchboard and you had wow. to route people to a landline and uh and the post the post uh the post job was brilliant as well because uh it was um have you seen um secret of my success with michael j fox no no I don't oh, come on guys it, it's classic yeah. anyway he pushes the post he pushes the post trolley and mm -hmm. uh and it, and in those days um you had to pretty you deliver the post, but also you were delivering inter office memos. <laughs> because there's no there's email. No People email. aren't emailing each other. Right. This is nineteen ninety seven. Well they're just about coming into email yeah. and uh we we're getting we we're getting email we we're getting but but mostly people hilariously would write an inter office memo, print it, send it down to the post room, you'd then photocopy it five hundred times stick it in your post trolley and go and deliver Dish it to it myself. Wow. It was great because you um you got to know everybody and yeah. you you were you were like part of a part of somewhere which was great and I loved it and it was Where was that somewhere? Which agency is this? That was an agency called Bates Dorland, uh which no longer exists. But it was part it had a very, very tenuous link um to Saatchi and Saatchi because it was part of a group called the Cordian Group. Oh, and you know what? I can't even remember. I think, I think there was some sort of joint ownership, or there were joint branded. There was a connection. Yeah. There was a connection, a loose connection. And what was interesting is that you know, at that stage in your career, you every, all your mates are getting your first jobs, and you're meeting up for you know a drink or whatever, and everyone's saying what they're doing, what they're up to, and you don't say you work at at uh, at store. You at can't Bates. even remember. No. Yeah, no one. What does. do you say? <laughs> I told him I worked at Saatchi and Saatchi. Look at that. Well, because, Planting the know, seed. Well, you plant the seed, but also <laughs> it's the most famous agency in the world. It's the only one your mum's heard of. Mm, yeah. uh, it's the only place I've ever I've ever worked out that my mum's heard of or knows what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and if someone said to you then, sorry, if someone said to you then, you're going to be CEO of that agency one day, what would you have said? Well, it, I would have been incredulous. I just wanted to be an account manager on the Heinz account at that point. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was my ceiling. I was like, made it, made it when I get there, you know, my God, now that was, uh, you know, that was the day, you know, that was the days where, where account directors were, you know, godlike figures. And then anything above that, forget about it. It was just mm. like, you know, like guys, people are sitting over there in in offices and then you push the post trolley into it. But you know, that was, uh, that was, uh, but I think there is a, you know, the the underlying, the underlying story around that is that even then, what was that, ninety six, ninety seven? It was, you know, Saatchi and Saatchi obviously, has, it's it's a powerhouse. It's the mothership of British advertising. It's the one that people have heard of. It's 
it has done the audacious work with um with the conservative party you know mm -hmm. it has put itself on the map you know through politics through through uh, provocative campaigns and therefore become part of culture like pregnant and men. so i tell people that i i worked because they'd heard of it and it had a glamour to it i mean it prestige. i just love that story <laughs> that you would tell your mates that you you would you work there and now now you do and now i do role. work there yeah um so tell us about the, the your career journey up to the point of Kamarama, you you work at a couple of agencies after your first intro. What was the the pathway up to that that point for you? How would you summarise that? It was it was networks, and especially in those days, that was kind of where the action was. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it was it were big network big network agencies with big clients. It was you know f all of the Madison Avenue kind of stories were com coming through, and and when when you learnt about advertising, you learnt. Well, you learned the Madison Avenue stories, you know, you learned the big persuasion based metrics, awareness based metrics, you learned how to build campaigns. And I and I and I just I just really connected with well actually with planners really. There was a guy called Tim Broadbent, um who who was a you know, a big figure in planning, uh, in those days. I uh, like someone else has mentioned him as well. Yeah, well or his dad maybe, but I uh, but I think um but he was he was sort of a you know a real seminal figure in advertising, and I'd worked with him at Bates Dorland, and then uh, and then I worked at the um, at the home of well they, the home of strategic planning BMP or BMP DDB Needham in those days. Short rolls off the tongue. Yeah, type. yeah no, well, it's acronyms. Yeah. You know, good at branding. So where do you move next? And I got a phone call from a. Um, from a guy called Trevor Beattie. I don't know if you maybe had him. I think he's in space at the moment. Again, I feel like his name's come up. Yeah, he just took he's space literally trip. in he's space. Literally on the, in the. Uh, oh, it might have been last week. I don't know, but I think he's in space on one of the um, um, the Virgin Active. Ah, oh, oh. cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> oh, <it's> super cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that, that was basically my interview with him. Was talking about space. Uh, and he'd founded an agency with Andrew McGuinness called B&B. &B. Right. It was about 2007, 2008, something like that. And, um, and, and so I sort of flipped out of the, flipped out of the, um, the kind of network Madison Avenue, you know, or, you know, all that kind of famey kind of world yeah. into the world of, um, startups. And uh, I think, I think B&B &B was one of the kind of first sort of progressive um sort of new wave of startups in those days sort of open pan co-creative co um you know very sort of loose organizational structures you know very sort of culturally on the money you know it was all it, it had that kind of vibe to it um so i started so i, I was there working with trev and andrew for a long time what role did you go into what was your first role there uh i was uh, i could i think i would might have been their most senior um account handling hire at the time okay because they uh because well startup and andrew mcginnis is obviously a brilliant account person and uh client services person but i think they'd got to the point scaled up to the point where they thought well oh, we need a bit of a grown-up account person and uh, I think I was the first their first that was sort of big yeah. Yeah, that was me how I old know. were you at the time <laughs> oh god I can't remember 
You it joined in 2006. I joined in 2006, yeah. Yeah, to yeah, 20s, 30s, 20s, 20s. Okay, mm-hmm. 20s. So, um, and what's your journey like, like there? You end up as group account yeah, director. Yeah, I mean, you know, those titles are kind of, it's like a big client services role where you're running accounts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did uh, I did that. And then uh, and then the business sold to Chael. Um, and um, I sort of did this very similar kind of jump into a very similar kind of company, Karmarama. How uh, did that come about? Yeah. Well, uh well, I, they called me. <laughs> Simply, <laughs> yeah, and it's a, it was a very like you know it was sort of like it had a very it was culturally very similar, sort of founder led, uh, independent creative who were looking for a kind of who were making the move to a sort of step change in their mm-hmm. kind of kind of path, you know, into in you know just scaling and getting a bit more credibility and bigger clients and that kind of stuff, um, and. Um, and I, I'd sort of done the journey with Trevor and uh, Andrew and thought, oh, I've got a bit of experience now in, mm-hmm. in how you build, grow, and then eventually sell. I'll do that with, I'll do that with these guys in, yeah. in, in Kamarama. And, um, how big uh, were they when you joined? How many people? Uh, they were how long about, have they been going? Uh, it was relatively, it wasn't like B&B. It was relatively big. And I think they'd founded in 2000. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it would have been about um, 20, 30 people, something like that. You would later become MD and then CEO of this company. Yeah, I stayed there. I was a stayer. I stayed there a long time. Yeah, 12 years? Was it? Yeah, and I became a part. I was a partner in the business. Well, I wasn't in B&B, but so I felt sort of, you know, part of that business mm. for, and stayed for a long time. So your your journey at Kamarama, you, you come in in 2010. Um you know, as a senior account person. And then you rise up to eventually managing director. And then eventually you become CEO of Kamarama, correct? What was the moment that the, you found out there was a, the CEO role was available and you they wanted you to be it? And how did that, well, yeah, how did that yeah, pan I mean, out? You can, you can talk to Ben Bilbo about that one. But I think the um, m- most agencies and especially independent agencies it's a gang a gang of people who are doing the work and running the business and and there's and actually you don't tend to think about the roles or the who who does what but it's the gang and it becomes sort of at some point somebody will go oh someone's got to someone's got to do this job (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the people, you're like, some people want to do it, some people don't, but it's it's kind of in the gang and it could be any of the gang who can, who can do that kind of role. Um, but you have to start thinking about, well, in this five, six person gang that's running this business, um, people have got different skills and different ambitions and like doing different things and have different kind of mindsets and stuff. Some people like publicity. Some people don't like publicity. Some people, and it, but you need all of it. Mm. So it kind of takes all sorts to to run a business, and it doesn't matter. You know, I, I some of my old partners, you know, won't go anywhere. This, no, no, mm, wouldn't do any of this kind of stuff. Podcast, no, video, yeah, interview. exactly. You yeah. know, 
but but they're but absolutely brilliant on the craft and the focus and the work and kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. But you just need all sorts. You need different types of people to do that. And so to be the to be the person that galvanizes everybody and goes, okay, well look, that's I'll be the you know the first miles equals, or we'll, I'll be the leader of it. I think you could almost you know certainly within within independence, slightly different within networks. But I think you can it's you it it becomes apparent who amongst you can do that can do that role what the ceo role yeah mm -hmm. because i think did you talk about it how did it would you sit around the table and go right ceo role who fancies it should we draw straws well, or a, well there's a there's a bit of that <laughs> because in a partnership but it, but in it, how many how many of you were the partners well by the by that point we'd actually sold the business so we were in a bigger structures organization Two. accenture right so 2016 is a is when the acquisition of Kamarama uh, uh, was, was done by Accenture and you would then go into a role in Accenture as well as 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 Kamarama, uh, which is interesting. And this did feel like a big moment in the industry. I remember it. Ashley and I, we co-founded our production company in 2015 and 26 came along, 2016 came along and they were uh, Kamarama were bought and it was... It was the first real big moment where you felt like, oh wow, the, the 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 consultancy companies are coming into this world of creative and advertising, and since then it's it's happened a lot as mm -hmm. well, um, mm -hmm. and it was showing the industry that this creative side of things was going to be a core part of the consultancy's business yeah. model, strategic value to to the creative industry. I mean, I, I it was it was brilliant. You know, and um, and what I love about uh, what I love about this industry is that you make constant step changes all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, but but even though the way that you do things changes at the core of what we do, it always remains the same. It's always about creativity. It's always about storytelling. And it's always about creative and storytelling, working together to grow brands. Mm. And you say it was exciting, but it was also for you, if we go into like from your perspective going through this, it was a lot of, it was it was challenging from what it seems to go from being CEO of Kamarama and then rolling that into Accenture. And you described it as uh, as sort of feeling like Right. Okay. Go and be CEO of this new thing now, um, and it can feel a bit lonely, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a because you because you're emotionally invested. So, Kamara, I was I was heavily emotionally invested in. Yeah. You know, all the way all the way through and twelve years of it. You know, and uh, and I absolutely bought the plan for the future of marketing, and I think it's right. You know the that kind of big connected uh, plan for how you build brands and transform businesses. Absolutely, that's the future, yeah. no question. You know, publishers have nailed that. Um, and and that's, the, that's the future. But when you're emotionally invested in a group of people and, and a brand, and th this was my big learning at that time, is to say, well, rationally, you know this is the future, but emotionally, you're still a bit, Oh, I liked that thing before. Mm -hmm. And what you have to do is you have to force yourself to to kind of to lean all the way in and to just go, you know what? There is no reason why 
you can't make this the most amazing thing possible. Um, and, and you know, logically, it's the future. So you just got to go for it. And so how did it work structurally? What were you, as, as so Accenture by Kamarama, what role and what responsibilities and what's your remit at this point then in this, in this transition? I, I'm then a, uh, a managing director of Accenture. Okay. Which is part of Accenture's song. You kind of wear, it's a big matrix organization, so you wear multiple hats. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm leading the creative agency, Accenture's song, Kamarama. Uh, but also being a managing director at Accenture. So, and, and the, uh, I, I think this was probably the biggest learning curve of my career, that five year period of doing that. Why? Um, well, because, um, because you, know, you know where you are with ad agencies and creative agencies, and, and there's a village, and you know the village, and you know the clients, and you know the work, and you know how to, you just know how to do it. But to, to throw yourself into a big consultancy um, is it's a complete game changer. <laughs> you yeah. know, your world suddenly goes from that to that, mm -hmm. and you can see, you get perspective, mm -hmm. and you understand how business works, and you understand how global business works, and you understand how you can, how you can uh, manage that global business. And I think it was the the steepest and the best learning curve I've been on in my whole career what was the difference between before going into this level of role about your your perspective on talent and its importance versus actually going into it and and uh, and yeah. being in that role she spoke a bit about that when we spoke no it's before. a really good really good question and i think i think that's one of the i think that's one of the big things that um kind of weirdly surprises you when you become ceo <laughs> because uh it's uh, you know you know rationally that this is a people business, that, yeah. You know you you kind of know that right, and you go yeah of course it's it's, it's of course it's, it's about the people and it's about the work, you know, brilliant. Um, and then um, and then as you kind of as you kind of work in the business, well I I obsess about the work and you're like it's all about the work it's all about the work the best work of your life you know you've got to do the work you've got to get the work done it's got to be it's got to be brilliant it's got to be transformative it's going to be it's got to be exciting you've got to like you've got to be talked about you know it's all about the work you obsess about the work and yes it's also about everything else and you do and especially in an independent you do a bit of everything you're like oh, i'm just gonna make it brilliant and then uh and you know you know also it's about the people but but really it's about the work yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then suddenly when you get to when you get ceo and you become a step removed from the work mm -hmm. you look around and go oh man it really is about the people <laughs> you know i knew it but i didn't really know it until mm. this second when i realized i'm utterly utterly reliant on the brilliance and the skills of everybody around of everybody around you and then you go, oh, then it's a real eye opener because suddenly you go, well, hold on a minute. My, my job, my job isn't sweating this bit of work endlessly with this group of people to, to make it the best it possibly can be because there are people who can do that. Yeah. My role now <laughs> really is to identify, nurture, find, encourage, support, you know, get the best people in the world to be working on this kind of on on the work 
and provide an environment and a culture th within which they can thrive and do their best work. And really, then you suddenly have that moment when you're like, oh, that's my job now. It's not it's not the polishing the work bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, yes, of course, that's still part of the role. But really, it's about it's a ta it's about talent um, and people and environment and culture. Um, uh, and uh, I, I'm saying that like like that that's a road to Damascus moment when it's feels so obvious to say it, but but it does sort of strike you. As <laughs> I remember like one of my first speeches at Karma and uh, you know a couple hundred people there or whatever, and um, looking around and then having that having that moment when you're like I'm not telling you how to do this anymore. You know, whereas when you're a account director or a, when you're running clients or, you know, you're like, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to, you know, you're not, you're not that, you're not, you're not, you're not lecturing anymore. You're suddenly in service to the business and you're suddenly in service to the people. And you suddenly realize that even though you've got quite a grand job title, really it's about support, yeah. um, mm. which is like suddenly like your head kind of flips into that. And 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 uh, that's quite a big, quite a big sort of shift in, yeah. your, in, your, in your thinking. Well, it's, it's yeah, it's a totally different it's a role and totally responsibilities role. And, and focus. It sounds so obvious, doesn't it? Yeah, like you, but, do, you don't kind of feel it uh -huh. until you feel it. Yeah, it goes. Well, it, it, the thing is, it goes from theory to having to be yeah. practical. You have yeah, to put yeah, it into right. practice, and it it leads us on quite nicely to the part in the show where we teach you something about yourself. Uh oh. <laughs> in a in a, an enjoyable in a way, way. In, in a good way, way. because yeah, as you right. said, in a CEO role, you have to understand people. You have mm -hmm. to understand what drives them, what motivates them, what demotivates them. Because if it is all about the people, if you don't know what what drives them or what's motivating them, you're not going to be able to do very well at your job, are you? Right. And so, if you're up for learning something a bit about yourself, uh -oh. and the audience come along with us and they can learn something about yeah. them too. Um, we'll do it. Okay. We're going to talk about uh, the theory of needs. Okay. Which is uh, developed by uh, an American psychologist in the 60s, McClellan. And he talked about that there are some core, three core needs and drivers that drive us. And it doesn't matter on your sex, your gender, your um, identity, your ethnicity, your religion. Everybody has one of these core needs that uh, is is influenced by by their life experience, and um, and this is really helpful in understanding how to um, understand people's motivations and what drives them, and in, and also yourself. So we're going to go through them, <laughs> and you're going to tell us what you think is your core driver, right. motivator. Yeah, go sound on. good. Yeah, go on then. Um, so we'll go into the first one power which represents an innate desire to influence control and shape one's environment those with a high need for power are motivated by the prospect of leading making impactful decisions and exerting authority over others this need fuels their drive to assume positions of influence and to be at the forefront of decision-making processes it is a force that propels individuals towards positions of leadership and empowers them to effect change on both personal and societal scales. Sound familiar? 
do you recognize some of these people in uh in 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 the workplace these are the ones who are the get things done kind of person lead from the front often and they're motivated by not necessarily achieving the goal but their status their reputation their how they're seen that's the motivator right there not so much getting to the goal or everyone going along with them but they're they're motivated by that that status and power can you think of people that you work with who maybe are like that <laughs> maybe <laughs> <laughs> don't have to name names um and they like clear policies procedures and to know their remit what's my responsibility and what's yours and being very very clear about that so that's one. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll go to the end and then we'll find out where you think you fit in. All right. And it's important to say everyone is a, is a mix of these, but that generally there is a predominant theme for, for someone. Number two. Number two, the affiliator. It encapsulates the innate desire for positive social relationships, belongingness, and a sense of connection with others. Individuals with a high need for affiliation are driven by a profound longing for acceptance, camaraderie, and mutual understanding. They thrive in environments categorized by cooperation and interdependence, finding fulfillment in the bonds they form with those around them. Affiliation is the force that compels individuals to seek out and nurture meaningful relationships, fostering a sense of community and shared purpose. It serves as the cornerstone of their interactions, guiding them towards harmonious and collaborative endeavors. These are the people, people. The ones that like get the whole team feeling good and just want to make sure everyone's happy and along with it. But the weakness of these people can be that they will either not achieve the goal or delay, not get, not get the project done on time just to make sure everyone's happy and stays a part of it. So again, great people for the team, for that morale, that feeling like they're part of the company, like you said, but uh, that can be the weakness as well. Number three, the achiever. It embodies the innate drive to set and accomplish challenging goals, to excel and to seek personal accomplishment. Individuals with a high need for achievement are categorized by their thirst for feedback, their preference for tasks that demand a moderate level of difficulty, and their strong sense of personal responsibility for their successes and failures. Achievement is the impetus that compels individuals to strive for continuous self-improvement, to push beyond their comfort zones and to pursue excellence in their endeavors. It serves as the driving force behind their pursuit of mastery and their unwavering commitments to realizing their full potential. The achievers, the ones who are great in a team where there's an obstacle that people think they can't get over and they're like, okay, this is my moment. This is what I'm here for. And they're like, we're gonna do it and this is how we're gonna do it. They're like the, the, the ones who have the checklist, what they're going to do today, tick it off. They're going to set out a strategy of how they're going to achieve things, but can be seen by the rest of the team as he's going for this goal no matter what. And if I'm not up to standard, I'm going to get cut and maybe a bit unsensitive to people's feelings. Um, but they're the kind, they will also be the kind of person to organize a meeting and leave certain people out if they don't think they're going to be good enough which an affiliator would never, never do. So now that we've laid out power, affiliator, achiever, where do you fit? 
<laughs> What's your predominant motivator, oh, I driver? Like, I'm, I don't feel like any of them, or maybe all of them. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever read? Um, have you ever read uh, the Rise of the Beaters? No, Doctor Dana Ardy. No, that book really spoke to me. It's um, she did a survey of. Uh, God, I'm going to get this wrong now, but it was it was something like the top Fortune 500 companies. Yeah, and it all went to all the CEOs. Yeah, um, started mapping them all out against against business success. Yeah, and um, I, I think I'm right in saying her conclusions were that actually the companies that were run by high profile alpha leadership, mm -hmm. you know, the ones you've heard of. Mm -hmm. um, actually ended up doing a better job for the leaders than the businesses interesting um, so they served themselves almost yeah because it was very ego driven it was very power driven it was very kind of me 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 rather than business 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 yeah and actually the ones that performed better were the leaders that um that displayed more beta characteristics because mm -hmm. they thought business first rather than ego first mm. uh, and and her conclusions were they that, that actually there was this rise of the beaters <laughs> interesting and i i kind of that kind of spoke to me a bit because I, I i've never been a um i've never felt myself to be an alpha leader particularly because it kind of like i mean this kind of stuff you have to sort of force yourself to do it and train yourself to do it because it's exposing um uh, and also um makes you want to feel feel a bit sick and like you want to be sick in the bin and stuff <laughs> you know so i've never quite been the even though i propel myself to do that because it's the right thing to do for the business mm. you know you, you, i mean i've never been totally comfortable with it um with what sorry with publicity I with see. you know alpha leadership yeah with, you know it's difficult and actually my natural state would probably be more in the affiliator uh, but I do recognise characteristics from each of those boxes. To be honest, yes, um, we are a blend of. We all are of a them, blend, but if you predominant do, one, predominantly probably the affiliator. Why, um, why do you say that? Because I think that's how businesses. Uh, I think that's how a modern business needs to be run. Um, I think you need cooperation. You need, and you need to build environments of safety and collaboration. You need to build a. Um, a space where people can do the best work of their lives and can collaborate on that. I don't think it's about command and control structures anymore. That's not, in my opinion, how businesses should operate. That's a framework that we should have left in the 70s. Um, I think the modern the modern um, interpretation of the corporation is kind of twisted. And I think actually a more meaningful way of getting to the work is through is through uh, collaboration. Um, and I think that by definition, that therefore requires you to work better as a team together for, for to solve goals. Um, and I think you need to create an environment where people enjoy coming to work and enjoy what they do. You know, Dan Pink always talks about um, mastery, autonomy, and a sense of purpose as a key motivators. Uh, for the creative industries and I kind of feel that's right you know it's like uh, you got to give people um, what they need in order to motivate them to do the best work for the clients and that's not about yelling at people to do stuff <laughs> you know that's mm. just not how that's how not how we operate well I think that you know it's 
there's no in these sort of leadership styles as it were there's no one is the right way to to, to be and it's just about across the leadership team that all these areas are covered and it's more about the people isn't it you know people need to feel a sense of belonging and that they're part of something um and whether you're that kind of person as a ceo or not is okay as long as someone is covering that aspect right you could you could have a ceo who is a power person which can also can always seem like a negative thing but it can be done in a very healthy form. You could have a power person leader who is very much the kind of strong out there. We're going to go out and achieve this. And people can be inspired by that. And like, okay, great. We've got someone at the head here who's strong, clear, knows what they want, decisive. And that can work great. In another company, what can work equally as great is someone who is more of an affiliator. And people go feel like, wow, this CEO really cares about us and he cares about us being a part of this and he cares about how we are as a, as a community and, and he wants to come and sit down with us and he has an open door policy um, and that can be really great too. No one is Well, I think, I, think it's, um, I think it's not as binary as that because one of the key roles of a CEO is you've got to make the decisions and you've got to go, you've got to place the bets. Mm. We're going this way, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, but I, but my argument would be we're going this way. Doesn't come from, I think it's good with it about this. You know, this is my vision for it. I'm going yeah. this way because actually there's a lot, there are a lot more, there are a lot, um, better, more, uh, sort of smarter people in the company. Yeah, you know, there's people who are like much more creative than I am, much more strategic, much you know. There's there are brilliant people in the company. I don't feel like alone. I am. I can make the decision, but getting there, we're better together. We're definitely better together. And actually, for a marketing and a creative company, I think that that is the best way to get to the best work. Look at American sitcoms. You know, you know, in in the uh, in in the old days you used to have this kind of tortured artist in the garret kind of approach to creativity, didn't you? You'd go yeah. like, like, feed in the brief and some food and come back in three <laughs> weeks later and he'd be a beautiful thing, you know? Uh, but I think, uh, and there, there is role for that and people do work like that still, but but actually to, to, to build modern influential creative campaigns, you need different thinkers and you need people who understand content and the new platforms that are coming up that I don't necessarily are as connected to anymore. You need the strategy. You need these different kind of thinkers in order to come up with those answers and you can't do it on your own. You need the American sitcom 30 writers sitting in a room going, what about this? <laughs> you know, and mm. cracking jokes. And, and I think inevitably there's a blend and then inevitably somebody's got to go, it's that. And we're going that way let's go for sure but but to get to that point you know it takes a lot of people to do that i mm. think um you're, you're absolutely right i think that decisiveness can can be across all those leadership styles but it's like the core motivator behind those decisive decisions is it about me and myself and how i will be seen as ceo indeed. if we do this or as you were saying is it about this decision is about making sure we all get there together and that we're all um, 
or, or feeling part of it is, is a different... Uh, kind of. I think it, I understand that there's a underlying personal motivation where you kind of get to. Yeah. I, I feel as though yet, tactically, yes, you need to be the one making the decision and saying, come on, we're going that way, guys. Everyone follow me. Um, but, but equally, I, I kind of think that um, the motivation... The motivation has to be what's right for the business first and foremost and, and only that's the only main motivator. Whereas I think where you're where the affiliator kind of gets to is it's got to be right for the people. Mm. Yes, it does, but it has to be as the CEO, you have to do what's right for the business. Mm. And what's right for the people is usually what's right for the business. Yeah. But it but in that order. Yeah. And then what's right for me comes way down the list mm. as it turns out mm. but i think if you are i think in in previous generations where you'd sort of flip that and those alpha leaderships would probably do what's right for me rather than what's right for the business and the people yeah so i think it's about getting that order right yeah. and at the end of the day you know trust in you you know trust in you be authentic um you know i i think enough people have placed their trust in me over the years to get to this position mm. you must have done something right um and uh, if you trust in you and do what you think is right for the business you kind of can't go wrong <laughs> or if you do well you know there it is but you got to trust in your own belief mm. and your own you know kind of way of working mm -hmm. yeah sure end of 20 we get back to the story now end of 2021 uh, you've been with Accenture, Karmarama since 2010. So you've been there 11 years. Um, you know everybody. Everybody knows you. You know if your printer stops working, who to call. You know your route to work. You know the good places nearby. And you've got a home there, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, actually, it's only about 100 yards away. <laughs> <laughs> So that's not going to be a problem. No, more than same sandwich, same sandwich shop. Same sandwich, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I'm getting to is an opportunity arises. Yeah. Walk us through the the origin story of when you first heard about this this Sarchi role. What happens? Well, it's a it was a role that's been in discussion for a for a while. Um, and um, well, well, why do you say that? What well, does it go because, back to? Uh, just because of the people involved, you know, I know I know the people who were involved uh, at Sarchi's and Publicist Group for a while. So I see. Um, so you know, it was it, it's been a sort of a conversation that's been had for a long time. But I think I think re really the sort of key the key point here is that. You know, it goes back to pushing the post trolley, saying I worked at Saatchi and Saatchi. Mm. You know, when when you get offered a gig like this one, and you work in advertising, it's very hard not to go get excited about it because this is this is a a business that plays such an important part in the canon mm. that if you work in advertising, if you lived in Roman times, you want to live in Rome. You know, <laughs> and if you work in advertising. You want to work at some point in the mothership of advertising, yeah. and so there's that part of it which I think is, you know what, this is amazing. Um, uh, but also, I think there is a um, 
there's a because it actually is a part of publicist group um publicist group is doing amazing things amazing things uh and a lot of the learnings that i had that i had at um accenture and the consultancies you know i felt were really transferable over into into the publicist group story and i really bought into the publicist vision the one publicist i buy what those guys are trying to achieve um and I think it's amazing. So you, you kind of go, this feels like a really natural step for me where I can add some value uh, and can kind of go, right, I get it. Because we're all pointed, the same people pointed at the same future. I kind of got the, I've got the, I've got the playbook for this. You know, I can, I can give this a go at the most famous agency in the world uh, where I can make a difference and hopefully lead us into a bright future. I'm intrigued. What people do love about this show is the sort of breaking down of, of like how these things happen. So what, who did you know at Saatchi and, and, and was there an interview process? What was that like? How did it, how did it come about? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, yeah, of course there's an interview process. And, and at the end of the day, is a, uh, it's a small village advertising, you know, especially in the UK. And when you've done it long enough, you pretty much know most people yeah so actually it gets to the point where you um we you you kind of know what the right roles are and you know what what shape is right and you know the people and then you go through the process and stuff but predominantly it's a relatively relatively anyway small small village so so for for sort of ceo roles i think yes there are consultants and headhunters and all that kind of stuff that the help with it but but ultimately it comes down to what you've done the kind of person you are the re reputation whether it's a good cultural fit whether you want the business wants to go you know all of these things suddenly come into play and and you might be a brilliant operator but it might be you might be totally wrong for a particular business and that's fine you know when you get to that kind of thing it has to be the right cult culture fit and the right fit for the for the future of where everybody sees it all going, you know, and uh, and that kind of matchmaking at a really senior level, <laughs> it's it's different. It really is matchmaking because yeah. you've got to think about the casting and the people and the, mm, yeah. you know, and um, and it felt right for it felt right for me when when I was meeting the meeting the guys and the team and the. So you get the? Do you remember the day you got the news that you were being offered the role? I do remember the day. What, what did you think? Did you get a call? Did they bring you in and meet you or get an email, text? <laughs> yeah, no, I got a snap and it was fine. No, I didn't really. It was... Um... <laughs> no, we were out. I mean, it was it was sort of like, sort of old school, you know. It was, um, we were out and um, it was congratulations and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it was How brilliant. How did you feel? Why? Well, I, actually i felt quite drained <laughs> why well because you invest a lot into it um how many and also i got the process can you share uh five five interviews so five. it's a long yeah, yeah it's an arduous process. process yeah i mean it's you know it's got to get it right well, yeah. hopefully they have <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's um you got to get it right and 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 actually i think you feel well i i really wanted it you know and i'm i really you know, it felt like the right move for me. I felt like I could make a difference. I was excited by the work the guys were doing already. The team is brilliant there. You know, they've got they've got a great gang already. Um, and um, 
you know, a lot of it was like, I just want to be part of it, you know? And I, mm. and so when you're really emotionally invested in that, you just, sort of, it does feel draining. You're like, oh. It's interesting, given what you said about being an affiliator, that the thing you mentioned most there is about the gang and the people and wanting to be part of it. It's your affiliator part coming out. And yeah, like, well, that's probably right. I yeah. want to be a part of this this group of people doing this great thing it wasn't about ceo such and such what is this going to make me look like to the industry and do for me and my you know accreditation and status it's more you you talk about the people side of things and you don't and you're not talking so much about yet yeah, your your career and it comes across naturally rather than trying to sound good for the camera <laughs> so it's it's um it's interesting that yeah, yeah. and i think you'd be you know, it would be disingenuous to suggest that there wasn't satisfaction from the job title. Of course. Because, it's part of it. Yeah. Because, yeah. and also, you work in advertising. Yeah. It's Saatchi and Saatchi. Mm -hmm. Like I said, level complete. Mm -hmm. And you go, um, but the, the motivators and the, and the you know, I, I've always wanted to, I've been in this industry because, because I like doing cool things, ultimately. And I like doing cool things that people talk about. Mm. And that's really exciting for me. And when I started, everyone talks about the television ads we made. And that made me feel good. And it made me feel good that the clients are really happy. And it made me feel good that um, that people were talking about Heinz Toast to Life. And, the, and uh, it was cool. And I enjoyed it. And I loved the craft. And I loved the fact that, you know... Um, that people would uh, would talk about the advert you made. Um, and then that got harder to do as media fragmentation and the, the changing media landscape and how you then connect to people and how you drive fame. And that gets harder to do. And then, and then I think that the, the new model of driving that kind of fame is connecting publicity, influence, creativity together. So actually you still have that kind of fame the army work gets talked about because it is relevant and it's audacious and you know or the or the btee work we've just done you know we, which where we uh, um where we built a, a a store in Fortnite and then hired a whole load of Fortnite influencers to guard it and said so anyone who can break <laughs> through can get a whole load of free kit mm. you know amazing yeah. right that's the kind of stuff i love that stuff you know and that kind of stuff compared to make a TV edit, it's still, the motivator behind it is still fame. You still produce things that people talk about and make a difference. And that's why we do what we do. And therefore it grows brands and therefore you succeed and there's satisfaction and businesses are, um, businesses grow as a result. And you kind of, you feel like, great, I'm, doing good in my job and that makes a difference and I feel good about it yes. um so I think it's that kind of and and that's the interesting thing about Saatchi and Saatchi you know and looking at the work that they did whilst I was in the garden you know it's great work you know and you kind of go well driving that kind of fame and influence you know is exciting and it's a gang of people who are doing that already and that's you know I want to come in and give it a push Let's let's talk. You've, you've mentioned it there. So you, you 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 get told you're going to be a CEO. Very exciting, but you can't just get started. There no. was a what <laughs> happens. 
you don't go into the office, you know, a week later and go, what what happens? No, what 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 happens is um you then <laughs> go on gardening leave for six months. Well I did. And... The dream. You get six months to do whatever you like. I know. And you're getting paid. It's it's the it's the maddest thing. Um and I've never I've never never had that before, you know. Yeah. And uh twenty five years I've never literally never and I've only had um I've only, you know, I've only ever had two weeks off on holiday. And you this know, is very rarely months. three. Actually, right. got married and had three, but it was like, yeah. But this is six months, and you're sort of like, well, whew, that's a, um, you know, what do you do? <laughs> what was that first week like uh, at home? You know what? You know what? Actually, it's hard. Uh, you know, I find it hard, and um, you know, when you were asking me about challenges and personal challenges and i think um i think what links a lot of the challenges is and i had to google this work so I, I did write about it once but I forgot it's liminalities because there is a um there's a in, the in-between worlds you know uh it's the journeying worlds it's the it's when you're neither one nor another and you're in this liminal space and, and i i find that quite difficult <laughs> And uh, I don't know why, but I, I, just, I suddenly reflecting that that actually links a lot of the things that I've been talking about. And um, and my actually my wife my wife explained explained it to me. My wife's a, psych, uh, a psychologist, and so you know, and super smart, and you know, and uh, and it was when I was taking my uh, I was taking my kids to the park with her, and um, I was getting all all angry because they're just stopping and looking at flowers and you know like yeah. wandering off or just having a sit down this is your early days of gardening leave right no well th no this wasn't this was oh, before gardening before. leave right okay. before gardening leave but i was like i was explaining so this is about the this is about the liminal space right and i'll get to the point in a minute it's a bit tor torturous but she was saying she said to me at the time listen you just got it's not about getting to the park you've just got to enjoy the journey to the park that's mm. really why we're doing it mm. you know it doesn't matter when you get there because we'll probably just have to come back again and i was like we've got to get to the park because that's what we said we were going to do and we're going to the park and this is bloody annoying that kids are just paying being pains in the ass all the way through and uh, and actually and actually she says i know it, it is the journey that you've got to that you've got to enjoy and you've got to embrace and you've got to you've got to do it and i kind of went Okay, I, I kind of get that now because there are those liminal spaces. And gardening leave is a liminal space. Mm. You know, it is a very, very strange thing. For me, it was anyway, because suddenly you're neither one nor another. And uh, what do you mean? Well, you're not in work. Yeah. But you're kind of not really home as well. Yeah. Because. Yeah you've got this other stuff going on you haven't started your new thing but you haven't you know you're technically in the old thing so it so it's a bit weird and also because of the length of time because yeah. like when you're on holiday for two weeks you're in holiday mode mm -hmm. doing holiday stuff mm -hmm. now you're just going right what am i going to do and um and, and so that for those first few weeks were quite challenging for the sort of family dynamic why well, because suddenly I'm there in the kitchen, going right. What should we do today? And 
they're like, you know, this is weird. And then they're, they're not like, this normally is here. Weird. How old are your kids at this point? They're tw- 12, oh. 9, and 6. Okay. Mm. And um, they're like, this is weird. What are you and obviously doing my here, wife Dad? is like, this is weird because it's a different dynamic and we've got to get used to this and this is <laughs> this is odd. And and suddenly, because I'm now, I you know, I'm taking my share of the, of the household kind of work, yeah. uh, which is significant, obviously. And so... So trying to switch from one to another is, you know, not easy. Um, and I think you have to, you, I had to go through quite a lot of, and also, by the way, you, the, the weirdest thing is you live your life because you're so conditioned to work that you run your life like you do at work. <laughs> In which, what ways? Well, <laughs> so, you know, like you check your phone every five minutes. Yeah, you know, because yeah, like, you're yeah. always on and stuff an email, going on, things to reply to. Yeah, you got to. I mean, that's what you do. You check your phone literally every five minutes. You're checking your phone, and then you check your phone, and then uh, and gardening leave. <laughs> Nothing's happened. <laughs> no emails. Nothing's nothing. happened. <laughs> <laughs> like nothing. Like yeah. you'll get like a promotion offer from F Pret or something. You're like, <laughs> all right, and um, and that's weird. So that is a, that is a moment, and then um, and also you. Because you live, your, well, I do anyway, I live my life through my calendar. Mm-hmm. Literally, I have to put everything in because otherwise there's so much going on, I can't process it. Mm-hmm. So I, I found myself doing that on gardening. <laughs> but then, so my, days would, be, my days would be full. <laughs> but it would be things like, you know, take bins out, walk dog. <laughs> you put it in your calendar, calendar. take the bins out, walk yeah. the dog. That's hilarious. Because you're just so conditioned That's to it. And, it, it. and so yeah. there is a, there is a, there is a, like a, quite a lot of adjustments to be done. Um, but, and this is the, you know, this is the amazing thing. I think w- there is a moment in the middle of that um, where, uh, and, and actually I, ha- I had to focus on, um, on on home a lot more than necessarily we would have done because uh, various personal reasons, uh, and so so I spent was spending a lot of time at home doing the the home work, uh, but it also meant that I had a lot of time doing things like walking the dog and a, a lot of time alone. Yeah, and um, you know because when the kids you're doing you're doing the household stuff, you're doing the kids at the shoulder times of the day, mm. then you have a time to walk the dog and i've never had time to walk the dog before or Mm. just think and uh and and actually there was a an amazing amazing kind of thing happens um and it's a bit like a bit like but not really like like second week of holiday when you finally start to relax Mm. yeah but not like that at all this is like after after a month or two yeah Uh, and you have so much stuff in your head that suddenly being forced to just concentrate on on other things or just to walk for two hours every day, it suddenly like clears the cash cash in your head, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I find that amazing. And it's and it's very, uh, you know, uh, there was this guy. I, I thought I was telling you about it. The guy that I wrote about that wrote about it in the Guardian. Mm. He did yeah. a bit of a um, Forrest Gump, went went for a walk, and ended up doing it for seven years. But he said it's like it, it is a meditation uh and it's like mental weeding because yeah. you have all of this stuff in your head it's like clearing the cash you, you know you might not even know it's there but you have all this stuff and then slowly just by meditating or walking or whatever it is or staring mark brokowski's got a ted talk about staring at the wall which is brilliant you just got to stare at the wall sometimes 
and then suddenly you just sort of you, it all it's like mental weeding it comes out of your mm -hmm. head and, and so I, you were doing this and i well i yeah walking. you do you do housework and i was doing housework and i was looking after the kids and doing what i could not brilliantly but you know but as well as i could mm -hmm. but also doing things like um just walking you know walking the dog and taking a moment and and actually you get to a get to a spot about halfway through my gardening leave people were What's changed? You something happens, and really? I'd be like, no, but but my voice had changed. You know, you just you get a bit more zen about everything, and uh, people uh, it, there were physical differences. Really? It's so weird. Like what? Well, just in the way you the way you intonate and the way mm -hmm. you speak and the way your voice changes and stuff. So it was actually incredibly mentally refreshing. Uh, to take a extended period and and I know that is um a luxury that most people would in fact I never had it before you can never experience and actually you know a lot of people will then go traveling or do this or do that but I I was I couldn't do that uh so so I I did this and it was um it was amazing <laughs> it was amazing because <laughs> you just feel so well I mean I'm saying this like I'm a convert but people have been talking about meditation for thousands of years but it was essentially a kind of form of meditation yeah. and that was a re reforming of self it reform yeah because you, know, you connect because you you get rid of everything and then you reconnect yeah and, and also you focus on things that are important so you you really all you're focusing on are children your wife uh my wife you know my children um you know the households getting the household right and then you know because there isn't all this other stuff mm, yeah and as you know. a parent as well like when there's so many other things going on with work objectives and whatnot sometimes like looking after children is like it's an objective as a as opposed to a time where you can kind of connect with them if that makes sense yeah that makes perfect perfect sense and and i think i think i've come out of uh this period and again you it was a uh there's an adjustment period <laughs> yeah. you know where everything goes a bit mad mm -hmm. um and um you know but then when you come out of that you, suddenly you find a rhythm and you mentally and you've got a rhythm within the household and the work you're doing in the house mm -hmm. uh and um uh, and actually better connections with my wife better connections with the family suddenly that all feels suddenly that's incredibly important and something which hasn't had the focus that um that you give it when you are 100 percent focused on providing because mm. you're working and you're providing and then you go, that's how you f that's how you show that you care through pr provision mm. whereas actually when you do when you don't focus 100 percent on that it's a complete you know mm. and i and so as i say it it seems so obvious <laughs> <laughs> but um i think often in life the most profound things are the most simple most simple you know when you yeah. really boil them down they are very simple but it's our busy minds and whatever that complicate things mm. but reality is simple like just going for a walk and focusing on the sounds of the feet mm. can make a transformation in your life mm. and as you said it sounds so simple so but simple you know if you do it you realize how profound it actually is yeah uh, which is quite fascinating and I, and I and i think you know the challenge then is how do you uh and the opportunity is how do you capture some of that 
into going back into work? Well, that is going to be one of our questions. Well, I bet what, because what? it's it's um, it's not easy because you go straight in. Let's come back to that. Okay. Let's talk about going straight in. So you have your six months garden leave. You then get to the day where it's your first day, CEO yes. of Saatchi and Saatchi. Walk us through that day. What time did you get in? What time did you go there? I'll get there at nine. I'll get there at seven thirty. Look like I'm prepared. Get there late. I'm the boss. <laughs> What's the first day like? Uh, well, I get in early, but not because not because of any kind of you know like alpha-y thing. I just I my rhythm works better in the mornings. You know, I always used to think I was an evening person uh, when I was younger, and it turns out I'm really not. I, I'm actually a morning person, mm -hmm. and I I just like it, and I get up early and i it's i just peace and quietness the, of it i like it there aren't it's, so many emails about prep offers and things exactly it takes me a while to you know to and i like it it comes down to preparation and personal mm. admin and mm -hmm. you just feel set rather yeah. than a bit rushed and i and i like that so i i get in early so but yeah walk us through one, the day one so yeah. day one is have you been you probably haven't been to the office we haven't been to the office no, well yet. you're very welcome to come to the office thank you um, come down but there are symbols there's a symbology um which kind of gets you a bit and um because Saatchi is uh Saatchi uh I don't know if you, you probably don't know but it has a uh it has a um a philosophy and a um a relentless spirit to it mm -hmm which is embodied in this sort of phrase, nothing is impossible. Yeah. And nothing Im is impossible is something which has sort of lived and breathed in the Saatchi and Saatchi world for, you know, and everyone knows about it, obviously. It's, a, you know, it's legendary mm -hmm. uh, within the industry anyway. And it's sort of like that relentless kind of motivation to, to you know, to, to do stuff. Mm -hmm. And as you walk into the, as you walk into the office, uh, you're walking into the, you know, it's got nothing is impossible written in massive letters on <laughs> literally on the roof mm. uh, and, and they have and there's a there's a step which is famously um carved from nothing is nothing is impossible uh which was in the old office in in charlotte street you know and that and that is sort of the that is sort of imbued with legend again from, you know again stories that have come from the sarchis and from you know, all the other leaders that have come after the Saatchi's, you know, sort of huge titans within the industry, you know, um, and it's there. It's like the step is there. I'm not sure it's the same step, actually, but mm. let's, it's still let's, there. let's go yeah, with it. Let's go, let's go with same, it. The same it's the step. exact same Feels sentiment. Like the, yes. Yeah, like the same step. Yeah. Uh, and there is a sense of, um, you know, I felt a, a real sense of uh, responsibility um and it's exciting but you know and nerve-wracking but also a sense of responsibility because you know you do question you know especially it's that old um you know that old thing standing on the shoulders of giants mm. that's really true of sergeants mm, yeah. you know they're, you know these are these are these are leaders from the sarchis onwards that have uh been a huge part of the um of the story of the British creative industries uh, and you know them all very well and you studied them and, uh, and suddenly you're the person who's sort of taking that on 
you know, and uh, you know, and I'd done a lot of research with Paul Baines for you, and you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I spoke to him in advance. We spoke to a lot of leaders in advance to get the stories and to, mm. to get that kind of sense. And you should have watched the podcast with Paul Baines Fair. Yeah, that would have told you good. everything you need to know. Should have done. Yeah. I bothered going to see him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The um, uh, but there is that sense of responsibility, you know, and you kind of, I, I really felt that. So, so I, you know, that sense of purpose and mission and right i'm gonna it's it's my job now to make sure that the next generation of people have the same veneration mm -hmm. for this amazing place as previous generations and that's a very clear mission you know and i can't do that on my own i i can't i can only do that with the brilliant people that are, that are there so it really focuses your mind on you know I never, never once ever think that you could ever stand shoulder to shoulder with those people, you know, because they are such titans. But I feel as though, um, I feel, I feel the kind of stewardship in, in a weird way, uh, to, to, mm. to, to do the right thing Absolutely. by it, if, yeah. if, if that makes sense. Yeah, and yeah. it's, and it's not stewardship by the way, in a, in a kind of, um, just keep it all keep it all trucking and yeah, keep the shit tick ticking along keep it all ticking along no. kind of way yeah. it's like i i feel the responsibility to to channel that same level of audaciousness as mm. sarchi's felt yeah. for the next generation and then how do you do that oh my god i don't know you know i talked about i talked to someone else about this is the um this is the og agency yeah. you know what i mean and uh and uh with with the emphasis on the g yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, these guys, the Sarchis were outlaws mm, yeah. and um and how do you take that spirit and that bottling and make it make it appropriate for the new world for brands in the new world and that's that's I, the mission i want to you know people often talk about what they you know they do do in their first month as ceo and what was you know how, so, so i want you to sort of break down what you did you come in to see sarchi what's what does that first week month look like what kind of things are you doing the what, um so so that someone who's not been a ceo but maybe is about to can learn from you how you did it so um so you walk in with expectation from ceo books right <laughs> And the CEO books all go, the you know, 100-day plan. 100-day plan. 100-day yeah, plan. Yeah, uh, and before. you've got to have a, you know, move fast and break things. You know, you get, there's an expectation that we're all agile these days. And uh, and, it, and actually five years ago, we were all moving fast and breaking things and building things and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and I walked in, actually someone else gave me some advice, which was, there's no rush. You know, don't rush this, you know. Um, and um and, and really that i sort of took that to heart i i don't feel the need uh to break anything <laughs> you know um i'm gonna move at the right pace it's gonna be considered it's not gonna be in knee-jerk we're not going to do agile methodology on a on on the company which is doing well and doing brilliantly well mm -hmm. um but yes, there will be some nudges, and then we're going to make some changes, and we will shape it in the in the right direction. But there's no rush, uh, and so, so actually, 
you know, uh, my 100-day plan was do nothing. <laughs> no, that's not strictly true. I've not done nothing. But I've done a, um, we've done a uh, discovery period, which has now come to a period to, this now comes to, uh, we now finished it last week. And this was a, this is a discovery period. I actually wanted to call it introspection. But everyone said that was not dynamic enough, <laughs> so I called it. So we called it discovery. But but it really is introspection because it's a, you know, a, a, an opportunity for me for everyone just to get everything out and look at the stuff and yeah. look at the secret cows and talk about things and look at the future. And I commissioned some research external to have a look and culturally. What were they know, looking for? What did you set them to look for? Well, everything. So mm -hmm. cultural questions, how's everyone feeling? Where are we going? You know, what products have we got? You know, how does the environment fit? You know, everything. Just look at everything. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, mm -hmm. some things here, you know, look at the look at the strategy, look at the work, look at the look at everything. And we did work we've chunked it down into different work streams, you know, like environment and credentials and all that kind of stuff, just to make it easier doing sort of one-to-one -one surveys for the whole company and external surveys, talking to people from outside, what's your perception, you know, just to get, let's just, you know, get it all out there. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. And and actually that's been brilliant because we're all busy on the day job, but giving it a bit of time to understand what's going on. And, and also, by the way, the other big learning for me is even though I sort of came in and was like, right, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just go in and change everything because it doesn't need changing and actually, you know, there's the CEO box the CEO books aren't necessarily up to date on all that kind of stuff, I yeah. feel. So so, you know, you still have a bit of a kind of and you know, you need to make impact. Um but but you can but your mind changes all the time and it takes time for your mind to change on that stuff and it takes time to work with people. And it takes time to look at the clients. It takes time to look at how the work develops. And it takes time. This stuff takes time, you know. It's and it needs consideration. And and as you, as you, as you move through a decent period of time, your opinion changes on on so much stuff. So, you know, you, you don't want to go in and and change it and everything or do this or do that or you know, I think that's the wrong thing to do. Um, so you've just gone through a period, so a period of, of discovery, data, yeah, and, and data. understanding what the lay That's of the right. land but is. All, but also collaboration and cooperation. So getting people to you know to to not only um, discover, but to then add a lens for right. You know, if we were going this way, you mm -hmm. know, what would that mean for this thing and that thing and that thing and that thing? And coming up with ideas and actually being being the people that were at Saatchi and Saatchi, my original idea was let's just do discovery and just get it all out there and then we'll focus it around some ideas and then we'll iterate. But everyone just went straight to ideas. This <laughs> 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 is an ideas company. Mm. Everyone's amazing. And that's been, been great. They go, yeah, we did all this sort of stuff, but here's some brilliant ideas. So we've got a brilliant list of ideas now that we can Excellent. we can sort of start to, start to execute. But I think that's the, um, I think that's the, uh, I think don't, don't do the move fast break things stuff yeah you know i think you know have a have a hundred day plan sure that's the law isn't it mm. but don't feel the need to be rigorous in making changes or transformations mm -hmm. that may not be necessary yeah that may not be necessary definitely
so so yeah speaking of not breaking everything Saatchi has some amazing things for new talent in the industry mm. that were there as you came in you didn't come in and go right we're doing it my way um, and what are those what are those things Saatchi Home got Saatchi Upriser tell us about these amazing initiatives that are helping talent into the industry yeah I mean um reflecting on my story in i think one of the one of the things that i'm really conscious of that i've been quite fortunate in a lot of the opportunities that i've had in order to get into the creative industry the creative industry that actually i i love um and so even even before you say that well because i come from a position of privilege um and that gives you certain opportunities for travel and it gives you opportunities for work experience. And so there's lots of, um, there's lots of reasons why I've been very lucky to, to be able to go on the, on the path I've gone on. Mm. And, and I really care about the creative industry and getting, um, trackable pathways into the creative industry, um, which isn't really as, as, um, as clear as it could be, you know, the government at the moment, it's got a big push on STEM, um, but actually there is a, I'd say, a creative crisis going on in education, mm-hmm. um, which means that a lot of a lot of young adults and kids don't necessarily consider the creative industries as a, as an obvious or acceptable path for, for them. Um, uh, and so, actually, before I joined Saatchi, I was, you know, I did did a lot of work with uh, the National Citizen Service (NCS). Mm-hmm. Uh, around trying to encourage young adults to to see to to experience adventure and and also life skills and it's a really great program you know I also do a um, uh, I work with a, the the world's largest creative university one of which is the SAE Institute and it, yeah it's cool uh, mm. uh, but 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 there were some gaps in that trackable pathway you know in understanding how you can go from education into the creative industries and make sure there's a clear path in you know and I was I was doing doing bits of it to try and to try and do that uh, and then when when I came to Saatchi Saatchi and I have no credit for any of this and but it, they are brilliant programs there is a program called Upriser which is a playbook which Saatchi have developed um and the idea is that, that creative companies will go into schools and they will follow this playbook. And it's lesson takeovers, mentoring, work experience. And Saatchi work with the Harris Academy in Greenwich. Um, and it was sort of a foundational school. So it helps, uh, um, it helps um, kids sort of who won't, might not have necessarily seen it as a place for them or a place where they could belong to go actually that is attainable that is accessible it is interesting it's exciting and so that might be something that they consider and I love that and I think that has just been absolutely off the scale and now the plan is to scale it and to try and get other creative companies to take different schools and you know, to build this thing and and also Saatchi have the program called Open which is a sort of program in conjunction or partnership with the Brixton Finishing School, um, which is trying to again put that trackable pathway from education into creative industries, because once you start to experience 
or work experience within it, you kind of go, actually, you know, I'd never have thought Sachi and Sachi was for me, but actually, gives a job because this is brilliant. And I, you know, <laughs> and been here for a year, and you know, and and actually, I love that. And it's been, it's just been the most amazing thing. So there's a load of stuff um, that's already happening, and I and I really want to join the dots between it all to to try and make sure that all of these initiatives with the government initiatives are forging a really clear path into the creative industry which by the way is one of our biggest mm. brightest and best exports yeah mm. love that yeah. that's brilliant and brilliant so cool that you that it's cre you're creating a sort of an open source model that others can take that blueprint and develop it yeah well it's been brilliant and they've got um I think ITV are doing it, and Leith Agency and the re and the regions, and looking at the regional strategy for you know, and I, and again, I can say it's brilliant because I've had nothing to do with it, but it is brilliant, you yeah. know, and um, you you can't help but feel super proud of it, even though I I've, I've only inherited it, but yeah. the guys have done astonishing work with it. Awesome. Anything you want to share on that, Ash? No, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. It's so important to build those bridges to young people because I mean they're in a world where where content creation is everything really but they sometimes they may not understand or realize how it can work professionally for them and how it works within our society yeah yeah I, I think that's right we had the uh the deputy head in yesterday I think it was on the um uh just to just to talk a bit about it and actually one of the big things you know, and it's not necessarily, it's not really the, the, the craft skills or the, it's just the accessibility mm. to it. It's just saying, it's just showing that, that it's possible. Mm. And that's all it, all it kind of needed actually. And then that, then you can chart the path through. Yeah. Whereas before it might be unattainable. Mm. Um, and I thought that was really, really insightful. Excellent. Okay. Well, that is the, the story of how you became CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi. We uh, end with two things. One, I'll do a summary of what I think really people can learn from you and your story. And then we have a final poem um, <laughs> to, to end it. And um, yeah, I think one of the really things that stands out about you and what people can learn is, is you have this um, humility to your leadership. It's It comes across in a very humble way but at the same time equally um, you you come across as a as an inspiring person as well not shy humble but humble <laughs> you're not trying to brag you're not trying to say i'm this i'm that you're very um keen to say what others have done and how others have contributed but if someone's just to look at your linkedin and your career you know rising up to md and then ceo of Kamarama. Accenture comes and buys, you're, you become CEO, then being asked to be CEO of one of the most storied, famous agencies in the world. People could look at that and go, Phew, he must be like a real, you know, authoritative leader tra trailblazing through his career. But you're a very calm, humble, considered person. I think these are That's great thing, right? attributes. They are <laughs> great attributes. I think it, it well, makes people feel safe. It makes people feel inspired. It makes, I'm sure they feel comfortable in approaching you about questions and things they want to find out. So I think these are really great um, attributes that people can learn from and inspire them that you don't have to be this power, 
you know and sometimes an unhealthy version of that authoritative leader who's going to be like right you know doing things my way to get to the top um and i think that's brilliant so thank you all right poem time uh, thank you for sharing sharing your story i really i really like connected with the sentiment of going in and getting the data of everything first and not kind of listening to just go in there and smash stuff up it's actually about what's 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 in front here and how how can i best then put a strategy in place to make the best things better and to make everyone more happy and to you know stamp your own unique signature on your tenureship Ash has written this poem while we've been doing the episode Ooh. in this last yeah, hour so and a half or so. When you see me scribbling and stuff, it's noting stuff down for this poem. And things he likes and dislikes about you. No. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> okay. So now you've heard it from the man himself, leading the agency known for legend, mystique and prestige. With novels, books and storytelling, his early loves, they now reflect in the industry in which he leads. Remembering the power of flexibility to forge forward in teams can make magical situations unfurl. While not focusing on all of the past glories, but going all in to embrace the new world. Vision, inclusion, direction and purpose. Four ways to get the best out of your teams, compatriots and workers. Energised by the new way to make creative work that people and culture talk about. We wish you all the best from here, so your tenure will be far from a whisper, but an extremely loud shout. Thank you. And there we are. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. That is how you became CEO of Sachi and Sachi. That is.